I had wanted to surprise watch Driving Miss Daisy. Watch this for last night. Like, actually pretty sick. <laughs> you ever seen that movie? Of course I haven't. I don't think I have either. Driving Miss Daisy? Come on, you gotta be fucking kidding me. No way, dude. <laughs> This is 86 with Brian and Gore. We are here to discuss the films of, oh, God damn it, 1990. No, 89. <laughs> nope, there we go. <laughs> films of 1989, the Oscars honored them. And I guess it was February. I guess it always used to be February, right, of uh, 1990. Um, before we got into the uh, real fucked up system that we have now, where I think it's like March. I think it's, like, mm-hmm. it's going to be March again. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, 86. We're talking about the films of 1989. I think we're going to dive right into it because we're going to get past these, uh, as fucking quick as we can. (laughs) This, uh, week top five driving Miss Daisy starring Jessica Tandy and Freeman. Freeman. Yeah. Morgan Freeman. (laughs) Uh, that is the winner this year. That is. Way to give a back seat to Morgan Freeman. It's the opposite. It's the other way around. I know, right? Um, I don't know what else there is to say. It's Driving Miss Daisy. It's uh, Green Book 1.0, I believe. Yeah, I mean, it's just like a Green Book Beta, the supremely racist movie from that year, right? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Uh, yeah, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna say, yeah, I'm gonna say so. I mean, probably. I mean, there's another one on the. It's like at some point, it's probably more racist, but uh, in a different way. Um, but in a cool way. Well, in a sick ass way, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, driving Miss Daisy's driving Miss Daisy. We don't got shit to say about it. That was gonna be my surprise pick for this week, and that I like, but I couldn't even find the you know the gusto to do that. I, I just, mm-hmm. I just simply, I simply could not. The next on the list is from Oliver Stone. It's born on the fourth of July featuring an outstanding lead performance from uh, Tom Cruise, as always. Always outstanding. Next up, we got Dead Poet Society, Robin Williams, and a gaggle of young uh, Hollywood performers. We got, is this Ethan Hawke, Josh Charles, young Josh Charles. This, this is like the first like Matt, Matt Damon Ben Affleck, right? No. Is that, oh, that's School Ties? Jesus. Yeah. I am fucking blowing it. Next up, we got Kevin Costner in Fields of Dreams. <laughs> the face, the, the face. We do this on Zoom, by the way, so that's you know why the audio quality is uh, as sterling as it is. But I, but we do keep the video uh, portion on, and the face that Jacob just made um, is just <laughs> never seen someone more disgusted. <laughs> But the movie does also boast a late career performance from Burt Lancaster, which I really appreciated, and Ray Liotta's in it. I'm just trying to get past the the lead actor and move on to <laughs> people that we like. James Earl Jones. At this point, you're literally just naming actors that are in that yeah. movie and just yeah. trying to you're trying to bury the lead, if you will. <laughs> what are you eating, by the way? Uh, popcorn. Very soft. Popcorn. I would, it looks like... <laughs> Don't worry, I have a pop filter. Next up, we have the story of Chrissy Brown, I believe his name is, and Myla Foote. And this would be the best actor winning performance this year from the glorious Daniel Day-Lewis. This was his first Oscar, his first of three. Good, a good movie. Jake's making more faces. Uh, he's he's got this self hate. He's got this self hating Irish thing going on. No, 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 no. I'm I was remembering how fucking good uh, Brenda Fricker is. It's his mother, right? Yeah, it's his mother. Yeah, she's very good. I mean, I I came to know her as the mother in So I Married an Axe Murderer, but uh, but she's incredible in this movie. Anyway, so those are the Oscar nominated movies. <laughs> 19, 1990 uh, released in nineteen eighty nine. As usual, as always, as we are wont to do, we have an alternate list of things that we think are just much better. Uh, and especially this year, because it was a particularly weak Oscar class. This mm-hmm. is definitely 
a list in which there are things that should definitely have been nominated and won. I mean, hands down, it's very, you know, cut and dry, I think, as far as we're concerned. Um, fuck, <laughs> I guess we're starting off big. So uh, we got Do the Right Thing from Spike Lee, which we could definitely put in the should have been nominated, should have won category. I don't really understand why that movie wasn't because it it was super critically acclaimed. It was a beloved film at the time. Yeah. It, was, it was a big fucking deal. Um, it's written and directed by a black man, but outside of that, I... That's, I mean, I know you take issue with that, but... I'm, that's not me. I'm just saying the Academy, not me. <laughs> that's how you made it seem, my goodness. Well, you know, you allowed too long of a pause. I mean, it was nominated for Danny Aiello in supporting, for supporting actor and... A white man. Uh, yeah, of course. And uh, Best He's Original right, Screenplay, though. which I had, a, had, a, had an inkling. So, yeah, I mean, Best Original Screenplay, uh, Best Supporting Actor, that's it. So, <laughs> yeah, so, so anyway, uh, getting back to it, Do the Right Thing, huge movie. One would say the, obviously, like, the zeitgeist, you know, fucking paradigm changing, fucking, you know, whatever movie of the year um that was not nominated for pretty much anything did not win anything certainly didn't win anything has only grown in stature mm. throughout the years no love pretty much uh pretty big easy one. to look at any list from that year and just be like oh that's the movie like that's yeah. the one yeah yeah i mean it's one that still gets talked about to this to this day it's more i hate you know i hate i feel like I say this kind of often but it's like you know more relevant than ever super timely super timely if you will yeah uh, another one that did not get any oscar love and was a huge film that year uh the big one to come out kind of i guess i, I want to say the kind of the beginning of big films coming out of sundance and that'd be steven soderbergh's sex lies and videotape another kind of huge movie that got no you know awards recognition in in terms of I guess we're going to say the Oscars and certainly, you know, not against those five. Uh, we have from Puerto Rico and I did not, I wasn't able to get my hands on this, which is a bummer because I was really interested in checking this out. It's this film called What Happened to Santiago. Uh, it was the first and I believe last film from Puerto Rico to be nominated for Best Foreign Picture. Uh, best Foreign Film, I guess they were calling it at the time. We got, we got Eddie Murphy's directorial debut with Harlem Nights. Uh, mm. great ensemble cast featuring him and Richard Pryor. Uh, Red Fox is in this. It's a pretty ambitious uh, first movie, too. It's period piece, huge yeah. ensemble. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's lots of music in the movie. Mm. Uh, yeah, and it's a cool... I, I think it's a cool movie. I think it's underappreciated. And, uh, there's a lot of really funny bits in it. Mm. Uh, I mean, when you have those two guys, then I don't know how you can go wrong. But yeah. it's not... It's not perfect, but it's also a first movie, so I don't know. Like, yeah, I mean, is it the only movie he directed? Uh, yes, I believe so. Wow, biggest movie I'm assuming of 1989, which is Tim Burton's Batman. Career making performance from another, yet another one from Michael Keaton. Jack Nicholson's personal favorite role he ever played. It just holds, you know, very, very, very fond memories of going to the movies with my dad and watching this repeatedly. Uh, and watching it the other night, there were definitely there were definitely things that I you just never have left my mind. Funny enough, there a chase. There's like a car chase, and Batman gets he flings himself around a corner in this wild way, and then the the Joker's henchmen like crash. And they crash into a a, a, a truck of like produce, <laughs> and that's never left my mind. This is like all these like crates of. Mm. lettuce and cabbage and a godfather <laughs> homage I, perhaps but it was just like one of those things that i just remember the vibe because you know this is a pretty dark movie in terms of actual lighting darkness and the way yes. you know it's, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a car chase at night a lot of shadows a lot of shadows hence you know just like these green cabbages and and shit like falling yeah. off that uh you know, off that, uh, it's just one of those things I just remember being fascinated by for some reason as a child. Fantastic, you know, iconic soundtrack from uh, Prince on this that Prince Burton was, uh, that Tim Burton was not a fan of. Um, I guess. Oh, was it imposed on him? He was imposed on him. He was not oh. a fan of the Prince music. Uh, Earth Girls Are Easy, 
which Ooh. is a bunch of the uh the homies dude bunch of the isn't this like this is like a bunch of the uh living color folks it's damon wayne's uh jeff goldblum goldblum and yeah. jim carrey jim carrey yeah, yeah. and then gina davis mm-hmm. uh I think that this is also a really underrated musical. I'm surprised this hasn't been revamped, like either on stage, like e- even like an off-Broadway thing, yeah, or yeah. or is like a a TV like uh, musical movie because yeah. it's pretty funny. Like the songs are good because I'm a blonde. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's good songs <laughs> in it. Um, I mean, it's a pretty dumb premise, but it's like painfully '80s. Uh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. They're in the ugliest alien costumes of all time <laughs> like the worst i don't know who designed them but they're just they're not good to go gina davis is cute as a button in this and thing julie I brown mean, is in this who's oh julie brown is great julian temple directed this <laughs> oh fuck are you kidding me <laughs> i'm not i'm not kidding you which julie brown also wrote it i feel like that validates how much i've always liked this movie earth girls are easy yeah i mean like this could totally get I feel like the criteria treatment. At this point, you're almost like shocked it hasn't because they're putting every goddamn thing on Criterion. Up next, we have a uh, a, a little um, I don't know a little quadruplet of films that uh, mean quite a bit to me. I know a couple do to you, not all of them, but all four to me. They have nothing to do with each other, but they're kind of coupled together in my in my list and the way my list looks. And that would be. Patrick Swayze's, again, Stone Cold classic, Roadhouse, starring, of course, Patrick Swayze and the inimitable Sam Elliott. Ben Gazzara as the villain in this. Outstanding. Uh, John Doe from X is in this. <laughs> yeah, he did a lot of acting. Plays a piece of shit uh, bartender stealing money, and Patrick Swayze gets his ass out. He works for the local... The local heavy, uh, like I said, the aforementioned Ben Gazzara. So we got Roadhouse. We got Vampire's Kiss. Oh, I love that movie. I mean, again, a stone cold Nicolas Cage. Just a just a clinic. He's putting on a clinic. Give every single emotion that man feels, that man can feel, man is available. You know, can achieve. Cage gives it to you. It's like he yes. hadn't gotten to do anything yet. It's like he had never taken like uh, you know the toy out of the box. You know, it's like he never even got to put. I don't think there's a peak for Nicolas Cage. Um, he just keeps on proving us wrong every it's turn. A, it's, but... a, it's, it's a wonder at this point that Nicolas Cage hasn't just dropped dead of a heart attack. It, it just a pure madness, genius ma- madness from Nicolas Cage in Vampire's Kiss. Jean Claude Van Damme yet again in Kickboxer, which. Talk about something that I could watch 300 times and it wouldn't be 300 times enough. Mm. Just a great time. Literally the same movie as Bloodsport. Yeah. <laughs> it's same pretty much the same movie. Mm. Pretty much the same movie as Bloodsport. I think it's his friend that gets hurt or killed. In Bloodsport? It's, no, it's his brother in, in uh, Kickboxer. I think it's his buddy this time in, 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 in Kick. What's it's his brother it's in Kickstart, in Kickboxer. <laughs> Kickstarter. <laughs> it's, his, it's his brother in Kickboxer. It was his buddy in Bloodsport. Yeah, I think so. Or the same, or the other way around. Doesn't fucking matter. Doesn't matter. It rules. It <laughs> simply rules. Gus yeah. Van Zant, drugstore cowboy. Oh, banger of mon- monumental proportions. I watched this again recently. I'd seen it a bunch. Uh, it got shown a bunch on TV when I was like a teenager. And then I watched it again recently. I, I just so happened to catch it from the beginning. I said, oh, shit, I haven't seen this in forever. And just just a great, great, great movie. Uh, I know Jake, Jake and I are huge fans of William S. Burroughs in this. Oh, yeah. It's just all his scenes with, uh, with uh, Matt Dillon are just great. I mean, it's basically them taking like Streetwise and making it a narrative, mm. yeah, <laughs> narrative feature film. Uh, who's the model? Who's the Kelly model? Lynch? Kelly or no Kelly Lynch? Who's again banger year Roadhouse and Drugstore Cowboy yeah. and kills in both of them. She kills, kills in both of them. Be- uh, great, uh, sad p- performance from uh, Heather Graham, oh. who's just gorgeous. Always in this love and her. Just 
she's fucking incredible. You remember the time we saw her when we were out and we like we melted? That's what she does. We were at a bar in Williamsburg. I want to say we were at a Baby's All Right with our friend Jose. And it was Adrian. She was there with Adrian Grenier. And we were like, oh, who the fuck cares about him? And then she comes around <laughs> the corner and we alter Jake, me, and Jose, who is the gayest man in the world, perhaps. I think he, he's been tested. He's, I think, the gayest man in the world. And we all literally melted where we stood because she was the most beautiful person yeah. I've probably ever seen at that Just point. her aura just gorgeous just the most beautiful woman and but the the aura that she emits yeah everything just, everything yeah. it was just it was out of control i've never i've very very seldom been captivated so next up john woo the killer i watched this for the first time movie uh <laughs> yeah lives up to the reputation this shit rules <laughs> it's really fucking good uh chow young fat just being as charming and charismatic as could possibly you know be is he still doing it because that guy fucking ruled i know he's always been uh i i don't know if he is he might be retired i haven't seen him in anything in a while yeah maybe unless he's doing stuff great in this really beautiful haunting music in this mm -hmm. haunting songs john woo always has sick ass soundtracks yeah it was really really cool movie uh he's really fucking going for it going for the you know the shoot the insane shootout in the church and the doves flying all over the place just, oh yeah he's really going a lot for of his it. staples in there yeah yeah a lot of i guess things that uh it turns out would become signatures so correct uh, me if i'm wrong but this is not an easy movie to find right now right i had to i had to like illegally stream it okay. yeah i it was on criterion it, it was on the criterion it's i think it's like spine number eight or something like that and it's yeah. out of, it's been out of print for longer than i can even it was on DVD. It got a DVD release, though. It did. It did. Again, yeah. it's been out of print on Criterion for so long, and it's just one of those things that uh, it's a shame. You wish, uh, you wish, uh, you know, it could would get it together and uh, you know have Jodorowsky with Santa Sangre, which you have seen and I have not. Yeah, it's really uh, kind of closed out that period of. Jodorowsky, I think. Uh, he didn't make a movie for several years after that. Mm -hmm. um, it's just a visual delight. It's a feast for the senses. Uh, <laughs> it's also, I think, one of his bloodier movies. Um, huh. I don't know. I love this movie. The last thing that I'm going to bring up for the big list, and then I think there's some things that we want to chat about, um, is, which I didn't realize, but I was looking just to double check, and I was looking on Showtime's On Demand, and I put in 1989, and I did not realize that this movie came out in 1989. It is great. I saw it at, at some point during the pandemic last year. And that is Cutting Class. Have you ever seen that? Mm, is that the one with... Uh... It's like early Brad Pitt, like first, like second Brad Pitt. Oh, movie. no, I don't think I've seen it. It is great. It is a great like teen, teen slasher flick. Um, just God, a, it's beautiful just a, in it. It's, it's a fucking blast. What's that? Jesus Christ, he's gorgeous. Oh, he's like, he's like I mean, 18. Always, but... I mean, he's like, I mean, no, he's like, I mean, it's 1989. I think he was like 20 at that point or whatever the fuck. But he, no, he, it is so fucking good. It's so cool. The last, the final showdown between like the killer and the main girl and Brad Pitt is her boyfriend takes place in a high school that's, um, it's like a high school on a Saturday or something to that effect. And it takes place all over the high school. They're running around, hiding in, um, in uh in classrooms and like science labs and then the final kind of showdown happens in which this is crazy i mean i i didn't go to a traditional high school and i like went to i mean i went to catholic school and i was here in new york anyway so i we didn't have these kinds of things i don't know if they had them in washington but like the garage with the kids used to take a uh, shop like auto shop. shop yeah yeah, yeah like shop yeah, and we like, had that it was like shop and auto body in this one because yeah. which i know it was like it used to be a thing I the final it, show, yeah. yeah, it's like where the final showdown takes place, and it's just as batshit as you know you would mm -hmm. imagine with all the like fucking you know tools and just all kinds of it's mechanics. Your choice of weapon, yeah, just so sick. It's it's great. It's a really really fun time. Funny enough, the that finale of them running around in high school and like you know trying to evade the killer kind of reminded me. <laughs> I know this is like a big read, but kind of reminded me of the climax of um, well not the climax, but the big set piece from um. I'm thinking of ending things. 
no uh you know the kaufman that came yeah. out last year um where they're like running around the hallway you know the hallways of a abandoned school or empty yeah, yeah. school that was one of the like joys that i kind of like randomly stumbled across like on tv you know late night on like during the pandemic and i had a really good time so that's a yeah. it's a fun one I'll watch that. Which again, there's not, and it doesn't seem like there's there's not many um, <laughs> there's not many traditional horror movies this year, but uh, <laughs> but there are two movies or three movies that I guess we're gonna classify as horror films. Well, let's get into it. So right. we're talking about the trio of um, horrifying <laughs> movies: um, the Cook, the Thief. Oh, his yeah. wife and her lover, Peter Greenaway. We got Elephant by Alan Clark. Elephant by Alan Clark, which is a short film. It's about 30 minutes. We've talked about the brevity of Alan Clark films, ranging from 60 minutes to about 72 minutes. This one comes in at 30 minutes, and it is fucking bone chilling. The, um, the inspiration for Gus Van Sant's Elephant. Yeah. But at about a third of the time, and it is just brutal. And then we have Michael Haneke. Every bit is effective. Every bit is effective in in 30 minutes. And then we have Michael Haneke's debut film, The Seventh Continent, which neither Jake and I have had ever seen. We realized that um, 1989 held, you know, was the, the year of his debut film. And, you know, as important of a filmmaker as there is in our time. Uh, so we decided to give it a spin. It's readily available. It's on the Criterion Collection. And it is fucking bone chilling. Yeah, we also wanted to see this because. uh, Well, because we also knew Michael Haneke is going to come up a lot during, you know, in the ensuing years. So we we had the opportunity with this being the premiere film that we would be able to chart his entire career. And I'm not so sure I want to anymore. Because uh, I've seen like a handful of his movies, uh, but let me I, let's just say he comes out fucking swinging, and it's not a thing of like, oh, well, you know, his first film was like this, uh, you know, genteel coming of age. Da, da, da. It's like no, mm-hmm. Haneke comes out the fuck Hanneking, if you will, from the jump. I watched this the other night, and I I would say this is maybe one of the most disturbing movie watching experiences of my entire life this movie's an hour and 41 minutes long it takes one hour for it to get to where it's going and then the last 40 minutes are just about the most nightmarishly brutal 40 minutes that you could possibly think of and it's done in this way that's so it's as it's as sharp as a scalpel and it really and, and you know to use the scalpel metaphor lamely again it does cut you're right down to the bone yeah and it's it's shot immaculately um it's it's just incredible looking i feel like there was there no music or was i just in a fucking trance because i felt like the the music was i want to say it was like source music but even then like not really no no very Uh, dry so you're following the mundanity of of this family yeah you're following the mundane everyday life of this family over the course of three years it's basically a mother, father, and a little girl. She's about, what, like 10 or something? Some like 7 10, to 10, I don't know. 7 to 10, something like that. And basically, this family has, the mother and father have decided that they're going to kill themselves. Mm-hmm. And they have talked it over with their daughter, and they've like come to basically find out that she like is down. And the next 40 minutes is them dismantling their lives dismantling their lives in every sense of the way just you know taking all their money out of the bank selling their car just flushing it all down the toilet flushing ripping the money and flushing it down that was painful to watch that was insane uh ripping photo albums photo albums every piece of every item in their house destroyed being destroyed their entire history their entire history uh they were telling they tell their you know their the father the, the parents that the grandparents that they're going to Australia all of a sudden and they want to essentially erase themselves from the earth. Um, yeah. yeah. Right. They all under the guise of emigrating yeah. to Australia. And there's this, these cutaways to the Australian coast. That's just, one shot. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like a postcard. The, one of the more fucked up movies I've ever seen in my life. The possibility that these things can happen has never felt so real. 
Yeah, but the thing is, like, these people are, like, living really pretty fucking well. Yeah, they have a good sex life. They have good careers. Yeah, what would you say, like, uh, upper middle class? Like, if even, like, upper middle class and, like... But they're collectively disconnected from the, the world. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, they do this twice where they're just going through a car wash and they... Yeah just start crying i think three well, the wife starts crying yeah the wife starts crying but they're all you can just tell like the the vibe okay, so that was the seventh continent and then elephant from alan clark a direct inspiration for gus van zandt's elephant in the early 2000s which of course was uh i guess using the using the framing and uh cinematic technique of these walking from behind dolly shots very long dolly steady shots, cam and dolly shots steady yep. cam and dolly shots um to follow these two young boys uh doing a school shooting mm -hmm. uh whereas elephant from alan clark in 1989 was a little bit more vague in its inspirations but i guess just kind of a statement on random violence in England. Yeah, it, it was about the uh, the Northern Ireland uh, uh, sent Northern Northern Ireland during the Troubles, which was uh, a thirty year issue from it was uh, the nineteen sixties until the nineteen nineties. It ended. Okay. I, th I believe in. I, I think it went all the way up to nineteen ninety eight. Is when they had their their uh, peace treaty, mm -hmm. and it was essentially like uh, there was two different groups, Western and Catholic. Even though th those were just names, it wasn't even about the um, the the religion. It was just about uh, one, you know Irish nationalists you know, were primarily Catholics wanting Northern Ireland to leave the UK and the Protestants to remain. You don't need to know any of this going into the movie, but it's basically there was this huge period of time in Northern Ireland where there was just sort of senseless murders happening, mm -hmm. and um, it, they're seemingly uh, not connected to one another at all. And you're following in this movie, you're just following pretty beautifully shot tracking shots uh, as people just. I think there's three lines of dialogue, and people just walk up. To one another and they just shoot them cold dead and then it happens almost every time you watch the perpetrator leave and then you just have this horrifically haunting shot on just the dead person just a, a captured moment yeah. at the end of their life um it's a very upsetting movie extremely yeah. upsetting it's interesting to know the motivation behind it when you watch yeah. it, as I did, just watch, you just put it on, you watch it, it's 30 minutes, it's these long shots of, you know, the various assassins essentially killing, you know, what it seems like fucking, you know, just random acts of violence. Having, knowing the history behind it now is super interesting. The way it's shot and the way it's choreographed, I would say. It's so affecting and so, because it just does, it just seems like it's out of nowhere. It just seems so random. Yeah, and there's slight differences in the techniques and like in the way that he he shows it, but oh, yeah. you you come to really expect what exactly was going to happen after uh, three killings, and and that makes it even more troubling because you're just watching it happen again and again yeah. and again and again, and it just beats you into submission. Yeah. Um, uh, it was actually made for the BBC Films um, for Northern Ireland, and I think at the time they said it was like the most shocking <laughs> thing that had ever been aired. Uh, I was interested to know what it was about because when the movie The Gus Van Sant Elephant came out, uh, I regard as maybe just 9-11 uh, as the Columbine shootings as being, uh, those are probably the two most defining moments um, of my lifetime, as it just as from a teenage perspective, mm -hmm. as, as somebody growing up, uh, being born in 1986, those were the two most explosive sort of things that there was other things that happened, but those were the two that like I was of the yeah. age where there, I know, mean, they were, you know, they were, you know, kind of defining things in terms of our generation's collective lifetime. Yeah. Uh, it was produced and originally conceived by Danny Boyle, which makes this his best film. Huh. huh. Act genuinely interesting. Gave it over to Alan Mo Alan Clark. Yeah, I think that Danny Boyle had only been doing uh, music videos at this time. Uh, in that triumvirate of disturbing films, uh, the last one we're going to talk about is Peter Greenway's uh, The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover, 
which I actively hated for about half of it. I want to say half. I actively hated it to the point where, and this is uh, this is one of those films that I did not know that you kind of have to be ready for or in a mood to take it on. I just went in thinking it was going to be kind of like a light romp. I didn't realize that it was going to be such an really? ugly, fucking, you know, like brutal kind of uh, film. But it is. It's truly I, an assault. It's an assault. It's an assault on the senses. It's an assault on the fucking ear. It's just an assault. It's literally I felt like you know, putting in a police report uh, <laughs> on Michael Gambon, um, who is usually great he's not great in this and i'm not going to say he's great in this because his performance is incredible incredibly one note he's just there's no humanity to be found in him he's just a genuine he's just a genuine piece of shit no i know there's not supposed but like there's nothing redeeming here and i think it's a one i think i read it was an exercise in hatred yeah and that's what i which again i wasn't prepared for this film for that to be the case i thought it was always I always thought it was kind of a romp about food and, and like, and sex and shit. And I know it was like this, like, oh, like this fucking, like, British thug fucking beating up his wife for fucking an hour and a half while she, like, fucks a librarian. Like, I wasn't, it, yeah, it was a little bit, it, it was a bit much. And then I, I, I stopped halfway, kind of cooled out. I think I made, like, made myself some food or something. And then, uh, the, the movie made you hungry. Lunchtime, anyway. Um, it was no the food's like it's not even like about food he like kind of hates food like she's the she's the real like appreciator it's just about excess yeah it's just like the whole thing's about excess it's um it's a brutal brutal assault of a movie by the end i was i didn't hate it i didn't hate it it ends very satisfyingly i love this movie it's first of all an incredible score by michael nyman the Uh, score is magnificent gorgeous it's magnificent. incredible my favorite part uh, is the one with this is the saxophone and i can't find it the part with just the saxophone oh, yeah. i love that oh. part is the soundtrack available like uh the soundtrack is like on spotify but not the like, oh. part that i'm looking for i think i have to oh. like, find it on like youtube or something. maybe that wasn't his score i was thinking that but i couldn't find a credit uh-huh. in terms of like of who it would be it's photographed by uh sasha virney who was a frequent collaborator of elaine Rassance. um uh, this was a widely censored film. I, th- I believe they were trying to give it an X rating. I think they ended up settling with an un- unrated version just so that they could get it in theaters in America. Yeah, um, that seems like about that seems about right. Pretty broad, you know, b- political statements. You know, severely critiquing Thatcher's regime. I also read that it was like that people were like, "Man, eh, that's not that fucking deep. Relax." I think it's pretty clear, like the, the political turmoil that's going on in that movie. I mean, like, it's, I mean, it's how he's holding court. But in again, the, it's in, about it's one note. It's about as fucking subtle as a fucking hammer to the hand. Because it's about a guy who buys a restaurant <laughs> so he can eat in his own restaurant every yeah, day and be a complete dickhead uh, to complete everyone dickhead. and everything around him. But you know what? I've worked for some rent restaurant tours who are just like that. Shout out to Vinny's Pizza. Yeah, no, they were all right. <laughs> no, but but I knew some, I knew some other motherfuckers that like yeah, yeah, and they they hold court in there and just like bitch and moan and yeah. yeah. I mean, we I think it's a beautiful movie. I know you call it ugly, it's, and I know what you mean. It's ugly and it's it's ugly and it's, it's gorgeous. Though. It's ugly in its message and the way it gets its message across. But it's a beautifully shot film. It's beautifully. Talk about, I mean, talk about getting your money's worth out of a fucking dolly set on that that motherfucker. Jesus Christ. Let us not overlook the absolutely stunning costuming by Mr. Jean-Paul Gaultier. Oh, yeah. On that, too. That's super sick. That is, and especially since the colors and the outfits are such an integral part of that film. Um, He did a spectacular job. More importantly, Brian... um... Let's also not forget to give credit where it's due, and that would be Alan Howard, Hanging Dong. Hanging Dong like a pro. Fearless. Fearless. The, my only fear would be hanging too much Dong because you got naked Helen Mirren in front of you, and I'd just be hanging. I, there'd be no hanging. It'd be a, there'd be no God hanging. Be a, be a goddamn, uh, be hanging diving board. <laughs> hanging board. Hanging board. Okay, because... <laughs> Yikes. No, please, I implore you to get all the popcorn out of your teeth while while we're sitting here. Please. Well, this would have been a better segue when you mentioned um, Elephant. But... Uh, oh, great. No, 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 please, let's... Criticize. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if we... Let's criticize in episode. <laughs> which is uh, Checking Out, which is uh, directed by David Leland, who wrote 
Alan Clark's Made in Britain, as well as Neil Jordan's Mona Lisa. Oh, cool. Um, this, this is a, a, a comedy, I guess you could call it broad comedy, um, with Jeff Daniels starring as a man just obsessed with his own mortality. Um, after the death he, of his uh, best friend. After, after, after the death the of his best friend. friend. Yeah, from childhood. Um, it also features uh, a hilarious performance by uh, Melanie Mayron. I think there's there's a few things I've loved more than watching Jeff Daniels and Joe Harvey Allen have sex in his car. <laughs> the scene, I rewatched it maybe three times. I just was howling. I just didn't think it was that good. I didn't care for the story. I don't know. I just wasn't, I genuinely just wasn't a big fan of this. As much as I like Jeff Daniels, as much as I like, very much like Melanie Mayron. Um... Checking out, directed by David Lee. I'm in, it appears, the minority. So, Sweetie, we got Jane Campion, Sweetie. Oh, premiere um, film. Yeah, so well, we can talk about it in the a beautiful film about two sisters and the... Um, the different lives that they lead and I guess the different philosophies of life that they have uh, and how one goes about that, you know, great, uh, great film about the relationship between sisters, which is, I have a sister, uh, but I mean, you know, I've always just heard how you always hear about how that relationship between sisters is. And it's been portrayed on film in a bunch of different ways, but it's an interesting one, especially coming from, you know, Australia and Jane Campion in her first film. But there were a lot of great film debuts. Um, uh, there were a lot of great filmmakers who had their debut or filmmakers who I think maybe didn't get better in their first movie, <laughs> uh, especially in kind of regards to somebody like, let's say, John uh, Cameron Crowe with Say Anything. I don't think he's probably ever top Say Anything. Uh Jeremy Maguire is pretty great. Awesome. Yeah, I keep thinking Almost Famous, and I'm like, that's definitely not better than Almost Famous. No, Famous. Jeremy Maguire. Ah, Jeremy Maguire's up there. But basically, Jeremy Maguire is an adult version of Say Anything. Yeah. It's, it's adults instead of teenagers. So we got Cameron Crowe with Say Anything. Uh, there was Eddie Murphy with his first and only film, Harlem Nights. Uh, like we had mentioned, or the again, all these are aforementioned, so whatever, but uh, Michael Haneke with The Seventh Continent, which is very much a debut that is a true harbinger of what's to come some dark fucked up shit done in this very kind of clinical style and making you think all the while of well, why 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 is this happening why are they making these decisions these brash decisions or whatever the case is roger roger and me from michael moore so for, you know first again another kind of harbinger of things to come in just terms of his constant fighting for you know the truth and you know in various guises and you know whether people agree with that or not they can fuck off uh, uh steven soderbergh with sex lies and videotapes which was quite the auspicious debut again kind of a big like sundance hit and then he wasn't able to get things made as easily afterward, I think, because I was think... Was his first movie? Yeah, that was his first movie. I think the thing with Soderbergh was, as we've come to know now, because this has been, what, you know, 32 years or whatever of having Soderbergh in, you know, the film world, is that he's never tied to any particular style or genre or he's just going to do what he wants to do. So he went on to make... Things like uh, Schizopolis that you were talking about a couple of a few years later, and he was having a hard time getting things made, and you know, you know, it goes anywhere from like Lucky, what is it, uh, the Limey, the Limey to you know, the Solaris Ocean, remake, Solaris remake, and the Oceans movies, and Traffic, and Aaron Brockovich, which was in the same year. Magic Mike, what's that? Magic Mike, Magic Mike, yeah, just like you know, he's kind of going all over the place. Um, uh, and I think, the, you know, the problem there was that just people didn't know what to do with him. After, uh, you know, Sex, Lies, and Videotape, you go, well, what, what could you possibly have next? And you know, he went on to show quite a bit, actually. <laughs> you know, quite a bit. So it was a good year for first films. You know, Say Anything, Harlem Nights, Seventh Continent, Roger and Me, Heathers. Heathers was the first film. 
uh, Sweetie, Sweetie from Jane Campion and Sex Lies and Videotape from Soderbergh. Nice. Good year for first films. And like in or in the case of Eddie Murphy, only films, you know, interesting. Uh, I think we're due for a top five. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. You sure? I'm ready. <laughs> so okay. we did something a little different this week. Um, well, you know what? Our 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 tastes aligned this week very heavily, and we were able to kind of come up with a cohesive top five. Uh, minus the fifth. The fifth, we're going to have separates. I'm going to start again. Right? Yeah, uh, we have yeah. Jim Jarmusch with Mystery Train. This is my personal favorite Jim Jarmusch movie. Uh, it stars Masatoshi Nagasi, Yoki Kudo, Nicoletta uh, Brashi. Right you wanted to start off right away with the hard ones. Uh, Screaming Jay Hawkins, uh-huh. uh, Joe Strummer, yeah, Elizabeth Bracco, Steve Buscemi, Tom Noonan, Tom Wayne. You know, it's just my mascot for this show, Sly Richardson. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Basically, it's three stories that take place on the same night in down Memphis, and it it follows just an array of fantastic character actors, musicians. Robbie Mueller is the I cinematographer. Say, I was going to figure it was Robbie Mueller. Elvis, Elvis looms very large in this movie, um, seeing as they're in Memphis. Yeah, it's about it. I would imagine. It, it meant so much to me when I saw it. This was definitely a gateway kind of movie for me. And Mystery Train, yeah. It's harder to describe than Mystery Train, but... Once you watch it, you just get it. I know you just watched it for the first time. It was something I yeah. saw many years ago and it got, you know, we we're always talking about it, but it got released on, it got put out by Criterion. Rightfully so, a truly justified um, release by them. And that would be Marlon Riggs' Tongues Untied. They just I, put out his box set too, right? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, they just put out the, yeah. the works yeah. of uh, Marlon Riggs. It's a documentary feature that's, basically an encyclopedia of i guess status of black gay culture at that point up to that point in 1989 but but basically a distillation of this man's entire life up to that point he's explaining his life it's like a mix of poetry and music and kind of like skits kind of encapsulate like i said black homosexuality up into that point it's funny because that's a thing that's constantly changing it's constantly updating it's constantly being it covers like the marginalization within those communities as well and like the struggles of a uh, black queer artist right like trying to navigate the world during the fucking AIDS pandemic. Yeah, exactly. Which I was gonna say, and he died a few years later. So it's like, it's yeah. not like he wasn't right. You know, it's just uh, when you have a, a community of, you know, black, gay, queer, you know, friends like I do, you see it, I see it kind of as like the, the, the birth, it's like the birth place of like so many of their mannerisms and, and, and expressions and just like things that are deeply ingrained. The snapping tutorial. The snapping tutorial is just, it's probably like the most famous part of that movie. Yeah. And it's something that just holds true to this day. It's like, it's, it's, it's a beautiful things, dance. It's like these things are like internalized. From a pure filmmaking standpoint, when I was watching it, um, I know that he, he financed the movie with only about $5,000 that he yeah. got as a grant. My big takeaway from seeing that movie yes. was just, um, he made that look so easy something that was so unique made a perfect movie look so goddamn easy yeah and uh the way he was able to make so many different styles and also another one that i think like we always talk about is not very long 55 minutes oh there you go. yeah i was gonna say an hour per perfect length of a movie uh <laughs> How many times do we have to harp on this? <laughs> Unless you go 35, like Elephant, because they, they did it in 35. Um, so our number four movie, our collective number four movie, Arthur Hiller's comedy masterpiece, See No Evil, Hear No Evil. Which... Grossly underrated. Not by us, apparently, because we're putting it at number four, which is, uh, we could say, ridiculous. But <laughs> here's the thing about See No Evil, Hear No Evil. I had a video cassette copy of this as a small, there was a, it was in my house. There was a, I remember it had a white video, it had a white video case 
kind of like the ones at Blockbuster, like that. But you know, they were black inside, mm-hmm. but it was all white. And uh, I ha- we had a copy of this, and I would watch it all the time. And I think it was a I think it was a favorite of my grandmother who did not speak much English, but she, it was you know kind of broad enough that it would make her laugh. She was I think she was a big fan of uh, Gene Wilder, and. I think of this movie because I guess, you know, they did, uh, how many movies they do together? Four four or something like that? Three, yeah. So they did a few movies together. It's the only one I've ever seen in my life. I hadn't watched this in about 20 years. Uh, Longer, longer even. And I think you had told me that you just didn't remember it or whatever the case was, right? Jake proceeds to go and watch See No Evil, Hear No Evil and text me and you're just telling me how fucking hilarious it was. And I go, okay, well, I got to, maybe I'll just, it was when I was like, I need, I think it was after Seventh Continent. I'd watch Seventh Continent in the daytime. In the evening, I wanted a little, you know, something refreshing and, and funny, a palate cleanser, if you will. And I threw on See No Evil, Hear No Evil, which is on Amazon Prime. And I, I could not implore anybody more to go onto Amazon Prime and watch See No Evil, Hear No Evil, because it is just about the funniest, like, hour and 40 minutes that I've seen in quite some time. Same. Gene Wilder in this is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Richard Pryor in this is astounding. The jokes are so uncool now. <laughs> There's a bunch of the jokes in this that are just like not acceptable, which obviously makes it the best. Who's the who's the who's the who's the lady? Who's the the chick? Oh, she's funny too. Oh, um, she was great in this. Um, Joan Severance. Joan Severance. Kevin Spacey is just doing such a weird thing. In this movie. It's very strange what he's doing. His very like asexual British uh, affectations are just like. It's almost like from another movie, but it's perfect. Every cop yeah, in this like is just a fucking riot. See no, see no evil, hear no evil is the apex of Wilder prior comedy. Yeah, it's so funny. I it's mean, so basic. Funny. The basic premise is that Gene Wilder is deaf, but he can read lips, and Richard Pryor is blind, but he has this complex about it and doesn't yeah. want people to think that he's blind. <laughs> um, so you know, he'll do things like walk across the street by himself. And, Help, you know, dude, like, him helping the other blind dude across the street. Hilarious. Hilarious. The Such fight in the bar. Joke, the bite, the yeah. fight in the bar. The fight in the bar is incredible. I mean, fight it's really bar. do you, it don't miss this one. Like it's <laughs> it's, it's so, so fucking funny. funny. So and funny. even if you're just looking for like one of those stupid kind of throwback comedies, it's I mean, the jokes are so well executed. What is it? Um, I guess <laughs> I guess it fucks out of the question. There's a scene <laughs> where Joan Severance has the, these our two leads uh at gunpoint. And uh, Gene Wilder says, can I get, can I have one last request? And she says, what is it? And he says, can you scratch my nose? She does it. And then she proceeds to give him a kiss on the cheek. Uh, she turns to Richard Pryor and he says, I suppose a fuck is out of the question. <laughs> in the middle of the street, just like in the middle of the street, broad daylight. He's so, so irreverent. It's so funny. And so, um, so positive. He is like funny enough. The like the guiding light. Just a just a lovely movie. Just next up, number three. Our collective number three. Oh, you still how much is that popcorn never ending? The bag. <laughs> or is it because you're eating it one by one? So I'm trying to be fair. Like, never... <laughs> like I'm in a quiet movie. <laughs> the only guy with the popcorn and during fucking, you know. <laughs> Schindler's List. (laughs) (laughs) And now with our collective number three, we are going with the beloved Pedro Maldivar and his absolute, I would say his first Stone Cold classic. This is his best one so far. That we've talked about, yeah. It's his, well, Women on the Verge of Nurse nervous breakdown is almost there but his first stone cold i think undeniable classic which is atame uh in english known as tie me up tie me down atame 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 which means tie me up 
this was a thing that I loved when I first saw it when I was about fucking 14 or something to that effect. And was very excited for this to come up this year and uh, be able to rewatch it as I did a few nights ago. And when I tell you that I just about had the best time ever uh, sitting and rewatching this, this is a film that is pretty like pretty dark and fucked up it's a pretty dark and fucked up scenario of this uh young guy 23 23 year old guy played by the incomparable antonio banderas fresh out the mental fresh out of the mental institution where he had been for many years and he had escaped Mm -hmm. from for many years and he goes straight to go find this actress played by Victoria Abril, uh, who he had slept with after an, a random encounter at a bar and one of his little escape jaunts. He goes to find her and he kidnaps her and he just proclaims his love for her and the fact that he's going to be a great husband and father to their children. Uh, and throughout the course of this film like an hour and 40 minutes of something like that and now yeah an hour and 41 minutes she, you know he basically convinces her <laughs> to fall in love with him and uh that's pretty much it it's like not it's not this like you know highfalutin you know high concept thing it's all about the chemistry between the actors the beauty of both of these actors the fantastic sense of chemistry and sensuality between the two mm-hmm. even though it is a fucked up situation i mean at this point you're in it and you're riding with it and so is she and so is he. you know it's um <laughs> it's a story of you know love winning <laughs> it takes a little uh... you know convincing <laughs> but in the end love wins yeah, it's kind of told um, under the guise of a thriller, almost. Uh, kind of, kind of. But it's so the colors are are you know as as he's as usual, very yeah, just... bright and saturated. Yeah. And, um, and so it doesn't look like a thriller, but it has that feeling. Um, it's got a great score. Um, by Ennio Morricone, which is yeah. wild. It's a you know beautiful Ennio Mor- Morricone score, which recalls very much, I think, uh, uh, Bernard Herrmann's score from Psycho. I was going to say also kind of like, Herrmann-esque, yeah, yeah. So that kind of um, kind of pushes and, the uh, and there the is the angle. There is the aspect. angle of she was, you know, there is the angle of she was a former junkie. She was a and former porn star. porn star, and now she's. Um, in this film that is going to be the final film of this, I think the funniest thing that I, I think I got seeing it again is how he's kind of treated like this, you know, like, I, I don't know, like B-list auteur yeah. or like maybe like a George Romero or kind of, you know, that kind of yeah. kind of vibe, uh, sexploitation, Castle, horror, yeah. yeah, that kind of thing. He's not like this, he's not necessarily this like respected older elder statesman no he makes genre movies yeah yeah he makes genre you know he makes horror flicks and you see that in the little bit that they they do show and him doing quick you know changes on the fly and you know things that him just lusting over or lusting after her and um yeah there's that there's that angle to it but it's not it's kind of like a throwaway part and it's not it's it's great and they're funny parts and stuff but it's true it's, they build that part in the beginning and then it kind of doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, it kind of like, you know, because he's lusting after and he has the wife and the wife's kind of like, you know, allowing all this stuff to happen. But um, it's uh, it's really all about those those two. It's really yeah. all about Victoria Abril and, and Antonio Banderas and they're just out, you know, kind of out of this world. It's It's one of these things where it's like they have so much chemistry. That you're like, well, he kidnapped her, but I mean, obviously they belong together. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's just, it's like, it, it kind of, it's almost, it's almost like a little fucked up because you're like, yeah, they're going to be together. Of course they belong together. Incredible supporting performance uh, from Loles Leon as her sister, um, who's also the producer of the uh, B-List Autors film. 
she is just wonderful in this and just mm -hmm. so like sexy in her own way and such like a busybody and um yeah she's just great in that that is our number three tie me up tie me down from pedro amaldivar at number two at number two we have crimes and misdemeanors by oh, woody allen oh yeah uh, tells the story of judah who's this philandering eye doctor um yeah. And, uh, you know, he's, he's getting up there in his age. He's, he's played by uh, Martin Landau. Um, Martin Landau, so, and, so great in this. Yeah, who's a married, a married man, a um, mm -hmm. uh, very celebrated doctor, and he's been having an affair with Angelica Houston. Who's uh, a stewardess. Dolores. This, right? Yeah, she was a she's a stewardess uh, in her, um, her, little, uh, her little apartment that I just love. Yeah, I do too. And she's... Uh, <laughs> She wants to speak to his wife uh, mm -hmm. if he agreed to leave her, and he doesn't want to. He he's coming to this point in his life where he realizes, you know, what matters, and he doesn't want to leave his wife. And so mm -hmm. he sets about a plan with his brother, who's kind of a a hood, to uh, yes, to have her done away his with. His brother, played by the outstanding Jerry Orbach. Oh yeah, in this, um, he is so so good. There's two stories happening in this. We got a Woody Allen uh, love triangle with Mia Farrow and uh, Alan Alda. And Alan Alda, yeah. The, in this film, and, uh, you know, you got to yuck it up to Woody for this one, says one of the great lines in cinema history. If it bends, it's uh, funny. If it breaks, it's not. Excuse my horrific Alan Alda impersonation. That's his mantra that he lives by. <laughs> and he he plays a uh, the more successful uh, filmmaker documentarian, to Woody, yeah, to Woody Allen's um, struggling uh, just, documentary, yeah, struggling, yeah, and it's um, the handling of these two disparate storylines um, is just beyond expert level, you know, mm -hmm. being able to do a philandering murder mystery or not even murder mystery, just like kind of like assassination tale. And the on moral- paper, it should not work that well. On paper, it shouldn't. But then when you watch it, every single fucking thing clicks like a magnificent, you know, thousand piece puzzle. You've got this philandering guy who hires his brother as an, you know, to assassinate his mistress and the deep and heavy moral toll that that takes. And it's eating away at him. Um, and his he's brother's so nonchalant to, about it. He's able, he, he's able to deal with it pretty well, though. No, I mean, he gets over it. I mean, <laughs> listen, I mean, it's, not, it, it's, it's heavy for a while. I mean, and even <laughs> I think, I think even he, he sees of, what he's made of, though. Yeah, he sees that he, you know, he has the, he has the, he has what it takes to, he has the capacity call. to kill. Yeah, yeah. And then him dealing with that thing, you know, that, the, what, what comes after that? You go, oh, fuck, I got the, I've done it. You know, I've done it where do we go from here um the and this funny a lot of big questions yeah he's he's this is woody swinging for the fucking fences on this motherfucker a real big time because he's like i'm just gonna go i'm gonna take all my woody shit and i'm gonna like mix it with my bergman shit and like maybe a little fucking you know Sven hitchcock uh Sven Nyquist, yeah the 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 you know always killer cinematographer um yeah it's uh it's like you said on paper it shouldn't work as well as it does and it completely just like knocks it out of the park it is <clears throat> it is um you know as much as we revere his movies i mean that's pretty fucking up there in terms of oh yeah you know quality this is one of the ones and um uh tongues untied would be a documentary see no evil here no evil is kind of a frivolous fun nostalgic thing for us excuse me um same thing with um seventh continent foreign um maybe sex lies and videotape if you wanted a popular a populist pick say anything definitely things that could have easily been in the place of fucking driving miss daisy or born on fourth of july or dead poet society or field of dreams crimes and misdemeanors you know it, it was nominated for screenplay. I think Martin Landau was nominated. 
Um, yeah, he was. But but not quite enough. Angelica Houston should have been like nominated. Like just I mean No, she's so great and desperate and yeah, wonderful. And yeah, movie. he was Woody was nominated for Best Director. He easily could have won. Um he was nominated for writing you know, original screenplay, definitely could have won. Um Martin Landau certainly could have won. Jerry Orbach could have won Sam Waters. I mean, it's just, you know, one of those things where it's just like it's not it's kind of unmatched um in terms of you know something that usually would be like a big oscar hit you know and it's like the fuck this is what you chose you know goddamn driving miss daisy um but with that said we have decided that when it comes to the year 1989 the only film to match crimes and misdemeanors and of course our personal you know favorites and like you know batman and you know things that we love but in reality to us and specifically uh, to you and i and our relationship. <laughs> i was gonna say very specifically to jacob and I, uh we kind of had we we had very little um argument about this uh very little discussion very we not much to talk about with this one our true number one of the year 1989 comes from Al Pacino, Ellen Barkin, John Goodman, Sea of Love. Oh, yeah. Sea of Love. It is a film that I can very honestly say that I've seen so many times. <laughs> I think, and this probably goes for you as well. Yeah, go for it. This, I mean, no, because you can get into like all the classics. I think at least in the last 10 years, probably the Al Pacino movie that we've both seen the most next to Cruising. Yeah, and Author, Author, which is another big mm -hmm. one for me that I'm a big fan of. Um a lot of people let's get into this a lot of people have this they constantly compare these guys and we understand we understand like okay pacino de niro pacino de niro we fall into the pacino camp because as far as we're concerned pacino has more a higher volume of better movies when you get into things like personal preferences like author author um, which is like maybe not the greatest movie and kind of like, you know, maybe a little earnest and like, but it's like really, yeah, I think it's kind of, you know, it hits, it hits a certain emotional, um, you know, thing for me. But when you get into just, I mean, what, like, what the fuck did, like, what did, we haven't mentioned any Robert De Niro movies for 1989. I'm pretty sure. No, and he did a few. Yeah, but Sea of Love, on the other hand. <laughs> is to as far as we're concerned and also this is something that um we didn't meant i wanted to say i didn't say during see no evil hear no evil um some of the best uh, photography of new york oh yeah great new york photography in that film sea of love was mostly the interiors were done in toronto mm -hmm. but the exteriors are done in the city and talk about like somebody on the level of uh, or, you know, operating on the level of shooting the upper, uh, like, east or west side, as well as, like, Woody was Harold Becker in this film. Um, you know, that little walk with Pacino going to buy fruit and them doing their little, uh, you know, kind of... Uh, Come on. You know, you she know, really didn't want to do that scene. Yeah, yeah, I had read that. It was, I mean, it was her first, like, sex pot role, and she was uncomfortable doing it. You could she's never, incredible you could movie. never tell, you could never tell. She's no. so sexy and sensual and um, inviting in this film. And you really want to know her. Yeah. You really want to know who this mystery blonde is. And Pacino is at, is simply at his best, you know, all the mm -hmm. scenes with his dad, any scene with him and John Goodman you know just the rapport between those two is oh his dad astounding uh, william hickey william hickey yeah um richard jenkins looking as old as always william, J william richard jenkins looking the exact same age as he does right now uh, <laughs> samuel jackson uh you know oh, getting yeah. the, one of my favorite scenes of all time the yankee breakfast the beginning oh my Dude, god it's so 
again, we're going to sit here and talk about this movie like a bunch of fucking nerds, but, uh, and I've said this, I think I was talking to our friend Yaz about this, where um, there's no scene more heartbreaking in, mo- in most fucking no. movies than the older lady still sitting at the bar and seeing him going on other dates. No, it's, it's, and it's the horrible. disappointment in her face. It's it's a perfect movie. <laughs> I thought you said there's also nothing more uh, beautiful than when he lets the guy go at the at the Yankee. Yeah, yeah, because his kid yeah. with his kid. Yeah, it is. He's like, get out of here. That's a. It's the movie's a masterpiece. Sea of Love is a masterpiece. That's talk about like you could have one fucking movie, and uh, if it's gonna be Sea of Love, like I'm sorry, you fucking win at life. That rule could be the sexiest movie to me for yeah, those I mean, couple it's... of scenes when she rides him from behind. <laughs> I was it, like, and not I'm not even saying I'm, I'm not trying to reveal anything here, but I'm just saying like done in the way that they just move together in tandem like that fucking dance that they do is just and and just the repetition of that song and and just yeah john goodman is just explosive in this movie as well yeah. and michael rooker just being creepy is which michael rooker cast, always... cast from the strength of henry portrait of, of a serial killer cast because of that which is you know interesting talk about a you know full circle moment for uh, us talking about that kind of stuff but yeah. yeah uh to me for our I, well that's not to me it's to us uh for our money hands down the gem of 1989 um the rewatchability factor on sea of love is just oh my god you know a, you know it's astounding if you haven't seen it by now man check it out because that is it's truly a gem and it's one that i think just doesn't get talked about that much not at <laughs> yeah. all and they have amazing <laughs> chemistry in that movie they do. It's similar to Antonio Banderas and Victoria Abril. It's the same kind of, you know, kind of raw, fucking animalistic, uh, you know, chemistry and intensity. We haven't even mentioned this, but just to pique your interest, if 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 that's still necessary, uh, the <laughs> basic premise of the movie is that Al Pacino is a New York City cop who. Um, He's basically looking for um, a killer that's running rampant, um, who, who answers to classified ads in the Lonely Hearts column of the newspaper. Um, so he and uh, John Goodman, who becomes his partner out from Queens, working in Manhattan, uh, they decided this sting operation where basically they, they put a poem in the paper. They go on these dates with these different women um, who are answering ads in the paper. Um, one of these women happens to be Ellen Barkin, um, who is a suspect, and Al Pacino ends an affair with her, um, all the while suspecting or wondering or 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 being paranoid that uh, she could be the one. Um, yeah, it's a fantastic movie. It's got. It's all all the all the right moves. Um, you still have more popcorn. I thought you were done. It's like the never-ending bag. Is this Willy Wonka brand popcorn?